First John chapter, chapter 1, we're going to read just four verses, four powerful verses of Scripture as we continue in a series entitled Experience Life, Experience Life. And so let's read the word of the Lord. If you're all there, say amen. amen. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, everybody say, so that, so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for what you've done, Lord, in the first service and now what you'll do in the second. Holy Spirit, come. And give us living understanding. May we never be the same because your word goes forth sharper than any two-edged sword. Have your will. Have your way. Release, God, revelation to each and every one of us that we would be forever changed even by the preaching of your word under a mighty unction of your spirit. Come, write on the fleshly tablets of our heart. In Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. We have reformulated our vision statement, and that is very simply stated this way, experience life, and if you know it, would you help me, experience life together with people, power, and purpose. Let's all say it again. Experience life together with people, power, and purpose. That is the vision of this church. That is what, who we are and what we're doing. And so I've made a series, very simple series, talking about experiencing life together with people, power, and purpose. So we preached the first message just last week on experiencing life. Jesus is life. Without Jesus, you're really not living life. And so we talked about that. We experienced what true life is. And so I'll, I'll summarize that in just a moment. Today, it's about experiencing life together with people. And some of you might be cringing right now because you don't like people so much. Certainly those online who aren't here this morning might not like people so you can stay at home and watch online and hide out in the, the cave of your apartment or on your, on your device wherever you are. But I'm going to reach right through the phone by the Holy Ghost and I'm going to get you. God's going to get you today. I believe this morning's message is revelatory. And that'll touch and change your life. And you'll hear some things this morning that's going to affect your walk with Jesus forever. So let's get into it. Experience life. To experience life is to experience Jesus. Let me give you some verses. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, the one who believes in me, pardon me, will live even though he may die. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and, and the life. Wow. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. John 5 and 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He's the giver of life. He's the author of life. He's the creator, God, Almighty, God. John 1 and 4, Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus has come that we would have life and life more abundantly, the abundant life, the full life. So what he's really saying is this, that without him, though you might feel like you're having life, it isn't the real thing. When you have Jesus, when you receive Jesus, that is the beginning of the abundant life. But without him, certainly you can't have it. And uh, Jesus has come to give us life more abundantly, enjoying our present life. Let me say this to you. If you're not enjoying your Christian walk, something's really wrong. Now, that's not that we don't go through trials. We go through trials. We have difficulties. We have struggles. But we overcome. We're more than conquerors, right? We're going to go through things. Yay, yay, yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some of you pitched your tent out in the valley of the shadow of death. Keep moving. Keep going. Don't stop there. Now, you might have difficulty and pain and struggles right now. God is working for you a far exceeding weight of glory, and he's giving you life abundant in the age to come. So enjoying this present life. He said, I can enjoy my present life in the midst of difficulties? Absolutely. Yes. How is that? He'll comfort you. He'll help you. He'll give you victory. You'll overcome. You'll see miracles. You'll see signs. You'll see wonders. Even in the midst of chaos, he'll give you peace in your spirit. You won't be tormented. And, of course, we have eternal life. So we come to church to experience life. And life more abundantly. Let's look at our text. The text is, as I said, a profound verse of Scripture that I don't hear preached too often. But John here, who writes 1 John, 2 John and 3 John, he also wrote the book of Revelation, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John paints a picture of the incarnation. Incarnation, what is it? incarnation. That, that basically is God becoming a man. That's what the incarnation is. And he's painting a picture here in this text. Come on, just look at this with me. That which is from the beginning, which we've heard and seen with our eyes. He's using the phraseology that, he, that was used back in Genesis. In the beginning, God. He's, he's using a phraseology of God being the creator, but becoming a man. The incarnation. And he uses two key words, beginning and appeared beginning and appeared. This phraseology from Genesis is basically saying the creator, God Almighty, who made everything, the land, the sea, he made you and he made me, came and became a man. Fully God, fully man. Hero Israel is called the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Yet he's three in one. The Trinity. Now you won't find Trinity in Scripture, but the word Trinity is used, it was coined by an early church father. It's, it basically means this. Within the existence of the one true God, there are three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anybody that destroys the Godhead, that's called the Godhead, anybody that destroys that is a cult. A Christian cult, perhaps. But the, the Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. 
There's all kinds of nonsensical teaching out there that'll lead you astray. You, listen, not every version of the Bible is a correct version. Hello. He said, you just picked a fight. Good. No, he's describing the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the word. What do you mean the word became flesh? It's a picture of Jesus, God himself, appearing, stepping out of eternity into time and space and putting on robes of flesh. It really is rather amazing. And Jesus is described as the word of life. The word of life. Wow. So what he's talking about is a real person. Write in your notes. If you don't have notes, if you raise your hand, they'll bring that to you. We've, we've discovered, they have learned that if you take notes, you... Committed to your long-term memory easier by doing that. So Jesus is a real person. John is talking about Jesus as a real person, not some fictitious figure, not, not, a, not an apparition, not just a prophet, but literally talking about God becoming a man. It's amazing. And right from Genesis, it's called the proto-evangelum. If you go and look at the fall of mankind, immediately God makes a remedy for man like he was taken by surprise. Adam, where are you? Like God doesn't know where Adam is. Gives him an opportunity to repent, I believe, and come clean. God, God, God knows where you are. And the curse comes down on, on, on mankind, and God says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. Seed is singular. How many of you know what the seed of a woman is? That would be the, the, the child that comes forth from the union of a man and a woman. And he's talking specifically about a moment in time when God would send his one and only begotten son who would step out of eternity, born of a virgin, in fulfillment of over 300 scriptures, would be born Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He would be born, why? To take your sin, to take my sin, to die on a cruel Roman cross, and on the third day rise again from the grave so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be healed, so that you could be freed, so that you could be washed, so that you could be cleansed. Come on, he is a real person. Jesus is a real person. Say it. Jesus is a... Yes, he is. He's a real person. And he goes on to say that they gazed on him. Now, first of all, you need more than a rule book. Christianity is more than a rule book. Oh, there's rules and things in there, but you need a love relationship with your Savior. It's a personal relationship where you get to actually know God. He knows you already. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're setting down. And he invites you through repentance to become part of his kingdom. It's the only way to get into his kingdom. You could go to church until you begin to look like a pew. That doesn't even sound right. You could have baptismal waters dripping off your face and still split hell wide open. You must be born. Read my Caucasian lips. You must be born again. You got to get born again. You got to get saved. You got to repent and live a lifestyle of it. So it's more than just a rule book. It's receiving him as Savior. It's a love relationship with your creator. It says they gazed on him. To gaze on him, to, the word gaze in the Greek is to, to look long and lovingly at. Okay, that's to gaze. 
I mean, can you imagine sitting around the fire at the Sea of Galilee? Can you imagine Peter bringing up that catch of fish? Listen, when you read the Word, don't read it like it's some storybook of far off. Let, let, let Jesus get into the pages of your heart. Walk, let Him walk up and down your life. I mean, imagine yourself there. You know, I, I told a story not all that long ago about, about being with some junior hires. Junior hires can make anything an airplane, you know, or a missile. I mean, it's just... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I thought the lid was on there. He got freshly baptized. Hey! Got baptized. My point is that they, their imagination is just like, they just... They can make... Listen, you, we get old and older, maybe... And we lose our imagination. Listen, God gave you an imagination. If you'll allow him to sanctify it, you can actually begin to experience dreams and visions that you've never seen before. When you read the word of God, let it come alive on the inside of you. If it's just some boring book, you've missed something. They gazed on him. Can you imagine sitting with him around a fire, looking at him like, whoa. Can you imagine when he stilled the wind and he stilled the waves? And they just stared at him. Who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him? Whoa. They gazed on him. Wow. They touched him. John is talking about a real living God who created everything and walked the earth. And he's testifying. He said, Man, you can't talk me out. I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I saw the miracles. I saw how he fed the 5,000. I saw how he fed the 4,000. I saw how he raised a widow of Nain, son, brought back to life when she had no hope. I was there when, when he cured Jairus' daughter. I was there when they crucified him. And he rose again from the third day. They couldn't be talked out of it when they stood before the religious leaders to be basically crucified, the leaders took note that they were filled with boldness, but they were simple, ignorant fishermen, the, the, the book of Acts says. And they said, they said, you cannot talk about this Jesus anymore. And they said, far be it for us to obey you rather than God. We can't, you, we're not going to be liars. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard and what we've touched, basically. We, we have to talk about Jesus. We have to tell you about him. He's the Messiah. You're mistaken. They couldn't be shut up. Wow. Luke 4 and 36. He's resurrected, but they can't believe it, the disciples. They're so dull. They're kind of like us. While they were still talking about this, verse 36 of Luke 24. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. You know why? Because they're totally freaked out. I mean, he walks through a wall. He's like, hey, what's up? And they're like, ah! And he's like, peace. They were startled and frightened, I bet, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have God coming into our world. That's the first part of this text. And then it shifts. 
You see, being a Christian, he, he begins to shift in these four verses. Being a Christian is being committed to fellowship. The word fellowship is koinonia. Many of you heard of it, but most people don't know what it means. Koinonia in classical Greek, and let me just say this. Um, I know a little Greek, and he owns a coffee shop, serves the best coffee and the best bread. I, I don't really know much Greek, but, but, but I have some books and resources that help me. Classical Greek, classical... Okay, classical Greek is not the language of the New Testament. Classical Greek was Plato, Socrates, uh, and, and that, that time period. It did exist during the New Testament, but, but the, the Greek that they used was Koine Greek. So the words changed a little bit in their meaning. But in classical Greek, we learn something from the word koinonia. It, it's a, a classical Greek, write in your notes. It's a favorite expression for the marriage relationship. The koinonia between a man and a woman in marriage. And it, it could also be described as sharing in a business partnership, but that would not, that would not be an obvious, not, not just a casual business partnership, but a real partnership. And then thirdly, fellowship is, for the believer, is, is twofold, which is really the, the, the koine Greek meaning that he's using. Is, in other words, you really can't have fellowship with the world. Not the true meaning of what koinonia is. True fellowship you can only have truly with a believer. With somebody who's believed on Jesus, repented of their sin, and made him Lord. That's the, that, that is the only fellowship that he's talking about here. And it's really twofold. One, fellowship with, with the Lord, with God. Personal relationship with God. Write in your notes again. The twofold koinonia is one, personal relationship with God. That's koinonia. And then two, commitment to the church. Where do you get that? So come on, go back to the verse with me again. Verse two, verse three. We proclaim to you Listen very closely to the language. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, so that. The reason we're proclaiming and declaring what we've heard, here is the reason we're proclaiming and declaring what we've heard. What did you hear and what are you proclaiming? Jesus Christ took your sin, died on a cross, rose again from the grave. We're proclaiming that. We saw miracles, signs, and wonder. He's alive. We're proclaiming that. Why? Why would you say that? Why would you say that to me? So that, everybody say so that, you understand? So that you may have fellowship with us. There's that word koinonia. And our koinonia is, or fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He's basically saying that there's two components of fellowship for those who are born again. And it's with people and God. People can't save you, but it is absolutely a part of your salvation. In other words, let me say it this way. If you're born again, now people can't do that. You've got to repent. You've got to receive him. But then there's a working out of your salvation with people. I know. I hate that sometimes too. The point is, oh, people can be difficult. They can be ugly and mean. Why? I don't know. Sin, I guess. But we have to work out this salvation in the soil in the context of relationship. I know believers that probably need to get saved again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The twofold aspect that he's talking about here of koinonia 
is fellowship or right relationship with God goes hand in hand with fellowship with people. So let me just shoot this in the head. If somebody says, oh, I love God, but I hate church. I love the Lord. The church for me is in the mountains. Well, that's not a biblical idea. Oh, listen, I get touched by God being out in creation, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going to the mountains and hunting and all that. But if you don't like hanging out with other believers, something's wrong. And this text is basically saying just that. You, you know, the, you, you all know the folks I'm talking about. We're like, that's not you. You're in church today, or you decided to come, and we've locked the doors, and you're not able to get out. I mean, I don't know why you're here, but I'm just saying. You know, you're in church, so, you know, you've come to church. Maybe it's the first time in a long time, or maybe you come regularly. It's a good thing to be in church. So when somebody says they love God, but they hate the church, something's wrong. And, you know, many people have been really wounded by leadership and wounded by their church experience. And, you know, wounded people wound people. Oh, there's no perfect church. If you find it, don't go. Because you'll ruin it. Amen. Experience life together with people. Let's look at this. Roman numeral three. When you become a Christian, it is God's plan. God's what? Plan. It's God's plan. It's God's intention for you to be a part of a community of believers. That's what this text is saying. He's basically saying that fellowship with people is a part of the deal. That's how God designed it. And I'm going to prove that in the book of Ephesians because some of you are looking at me like with a real religious tone of voice, so I'm just going to lovingly correct you through the book of Ephesians. Turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the people at home that won't go to church. Hallelujah. Don't touch that mouse. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer dirtbags and sinners. In fact, that's my version. It says something a little different. It Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Let me stop. We'll read on in a moment from verse 20. So my last name is Bracken. I have a household. This is my beloved wife who I like to gaze at. And I have, I have children. I have two children currently with under this roof. And then I have a prior life, prior to getting saved. I have two beautiful daughters. And one day I'll be restored to in that relationship. But it hasn't come thus far, though I long and have prayed for 20 years. One day that will be different. Come on, somebody say amen. So my household, the Bracken household, is me, my wife, and my children, my immediate household. So if I was to adopt someone, adopt a baby maybe, and many people do that and praise God, amen? If I was to adopt a child, that child would then become part of my family. Am I right with that? And would become part of my, my household. Am I right? When this says you're no longer moron, I mean foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his 
household, it means that you can only be a part of his household by being cleansed, by being redeemed, by being washed, by being born again. That's how you become part of his household. And I've said it so many times before, but you can't become part of the household of God or make your way into heaven by going to church any more than a monkey can become part of the human race by wearing a suit. You gotta be born again, it's the only way. I don't care what denomination you went to all of your life, and your mom and your granddad and your grandpa and all that, praise God for a godly heritage. There, you have to receive him as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what your family did before, you have to choose, then you can become part of the household. It goes on in verse 20, but on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself becoming the chief cornerstone, in him, pay attention, bump your neighbor and say, he's, he's, ta he's talking, listen to this, bump your neighbor. Okay, listen up, listen. In him, the whole building joined together, that's kartotizo, it's like the, the, the joints of a hand, joined together and rises, you ready, to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built, built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Most people here would understand that when you're born again, Jesus comes to live on the inside of you. Most people here realize that God comes and takes up residence on the inside of you. What most people in this room do not understand is what I'm about to teach you. Is that you are not only a temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody say amen. God, come on, say amen. But together, when we gather together, this is talking about the gathering together of God's people, His household, the church. In Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place of God who, by the, who lives by the Spirit. The word naios is the word that's used there. Dwelling place. What are you saying? I'm telling you what's happening in this room right now can't happen in your living room. Why? Because all across this place, there's people gathered together, the household of faith. And what happens is God comes and dwells by his spirit. He said, well, my church is in the mountains. Not like this, it ain't. It can't be. He said, well, there's two or three gathered there. I am. Yes, I, that's true. That's biblical. But I'm telling you, there's something about the gathered assembly of God. And I'm not talking about the assemblies of God. I'm telling you, they got that from this verse, from these verses. The gathered people of God where God comes and and dwells and it's different than your own prayer time very different God's here well I don't know well that's because you know you don't know I'm telling you God's here I'm telling you he's here that means with God, nothing's impossible, so he can do anything. He can do anything right now. He can heal your broken heart. He can heal your marriage. He can touch your wayward children. He can set you free from opioids. He can free you. He can set you on fire because God's here in our midst. Well, better, better look at Ephesians 3 then, 10. Go there in just a moment. But Ephesians 3, 6 talks about the Jews and Gentiles and God breaking this dividing wall and bringing them together. Jews and Gentiles would never be together if it wasn't for the church. But isn't that a picture of unity? 
Isn't it a picture of red and yellow, black and white? We're all precious in his sight. I lo- you know what? I love preaching here. I have the opportunity of preaching in different parts of our nation, but I rarely see this. I see like every single people group that, come, that lives in Alaska comes here. It's an amazing thing. It's a little slice of heaven. Thank God we're not an all-white church. Thank God we're not an all-black church. Thank God we're not all a native church. I love all the cultures of King's Chapel. I just love it. I've had people come in and go, man, your church is really different. Listen, if you hate people's color of skin and everything, you're going to hate heaven. You will hate it. And you think the music's loud here. Wait till you get to heaven. Ah! Ephesians 3, you all there? His intent was, are you all there? Verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, through what? Through the church. That's the gathered household, the community of faith. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the universal church, although, of course, we love the body of Christ, right? His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. What does that mean? That means wherever there is the gathering of God's people, it is a testimony to the ugly one. It is a testimony to that horny-toted, ugly bugger, the devil. That there is a people who believe in the power of God. There's a people who've been redeemed, who've been washed, who've been cleansed. And when we gather together like this, it is a testimony in the heavenly. What are you saying? I'm saying that when we lift our hands and lift our voice and when we, we pray and when we have fellowship, this koinonia together as the household of God, when we do that, it just burns the devil. I mean, it just shuts him down, irritates him. It releases the power of God in a region. I'm telling you, this church has been planted for the sole purpose of, of making sin stomped out by dark, if I could just say it that way. This church is here to push back the gates of hell and build his kingdom, soul by soul, family by family, and it's very, very important. Oh, listen, when people are driving by and they see all the cars... They're like, what is going on? Some of you were here because you saw the cars. You're like, what is going on? That building on a hill is a testimony. Yeah, because in the natural, there's no way a church could afford it. Normally, normally. Are we able to afford it? No, but God is. God's purchased the whole thing for us. In and of ourselves, it's a total impossibility. Yet here we are, walking on water. It used to be five feet. Now it's 20 feet. Come on, we've put that thing, we're going to put that thing up with about half the money it takes to build it. Where's the other half coming? God, I guess, because he gave us the first half. He's not, he doesn't ever not finish something, so he's going to help finish it. Come on, somebody, say hallelujah. Believe, will you believe with me? Will you believe that God's going to do that? It is a testimony, the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers in darkness that there's a God on the throne. Now, I'm not much of a hunter. I... I, I like guns, though. I like shooting them. But I like returning to my bed for my rest. Day hunts are my favorite thing. Just as long as I can get back and eat Pastor Karen's amazing cooking. Amen. 
I do know a little bit about predators. And uh, how many of you know what a predator will do? A predator will try to pick off an animal out of a herd to isolate it so it can eat it, like a wolf. They'll run it down, separate it, caribou, that kind of thing. It is the same thing that happens in the natural. You see, if the devil can, if the devil can use the, his, his hounds, his minions, his, his uh, tactics to separate you from the household and to get you all alone by yourself, you're in seriously deep kimchi. Kimchi is a Korean food. It's cabbage and really spicy and amazing, except you wouldn't want to be in it. You know what I'm talking about. It's good to eat, bad to swim in. But I think in that, in the, in that instance, deep kimchi might represent something else deep, but you, you just don't want to be in it. And the enemy will work double time to push you out and to get you isolated. Why? Because if he can get you out of the household of faith, then he can wear you down and pick you off and you begin to think weird things. We battle against some things. Here, let me just read this. It makes for all you um, note takers. In nature, a predator attempts to separate its victim from the pack. So, so too in the spiritual realm, the same is true. We battle against individualism. What do you mean by that? Especially in Alaska. Well, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm 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 going to make my way by myself. Listen, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. There are no Lone Rangers. And and, and really, you talk to any pioneer person, and most of them weren't by themselves either. They had a wife or a husband and family, people to help them. But there's, there's there's this... This lie that the enemy puts in people that say, well, I'm just going to make it on my own. No one can make it on their own. We all need each other. The body of Christ is just that, a body. And he brings glory and power to himself when the redeemed, the blood-washed hosts gather together and begin to expand his kingdom. He, He gets glory. You get glory if you can do it by yourself. Listen, a vision from God can never be done by yourself. When God gives a vision, it always incorporates other people. If you have a vision that's just you, that's probably your vision. God's one's bigger. It's because he incorporates people. We battle against the entertainment culture. What do you mean by that? All across America. And, and I've, I've had pressure from different ones at different times about getting a little bit more entertaining. Don't preach so long. Just go 20 minutes. You know, don't get real hard on, on all that. You know, don't, don't, don't go after fornicators. Don't talk about that. And, and you know, you don't, you don't want us to same-sex marriage. You want to stay away from that. And the government just try to, you know, pigeonhole you to talk about some cute, nice things that makes everybody feel warm. I ain't going to do it. Because you know how, you know what really got me on fire? The truth got me on fire. And if I have something in me that needs to be offended, oh, God, offend me now. Show me so I can repent because I want to become more like you. Any message of grace that leads you to allows you to have more sin in your life is not God. That's not God. God wants you to become more like Jesus who was sinless. And he gives you the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so you can do it. And uh, there is a great pressure on pastors all across the land to just get cute or just, you know, don't wear that. Don't, don't wear this. You know, get the lights just right. Have a cute message. And, and, and you know, don't preach too long and don't preach too strong. And for the love of God, don't spit on people. Don't get too excited. Just 
so we're so thankful for. Oh, don't do that. You know what? Oh, you read church growth stuff makes you want to throw up. Where's the power of God? I mean, think about, I'm off my notes. Think about John the Baptist. Now, if John the Baptist is going to build great ministry, I mean, his ministry is amazing. The spirit and the power of Elijah, kind of amazing, John the Baptist. Think about his wardrobe. A loincloth. That would not go too well. Yes, wear loincloths. Oh, that would be a great church growth idea. And, and you would think that he'd be like, John, go to the cities. No, no, John's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness, and he was a creepy-looking dude. I, how do you know? I mean, I, he had locust teeth, you know, sticking out his legs, sticking out his teeth. I mean, John, you got to change your diet. you got to change the loincloth, and you just got to get a little closer to Jerusalem because you're not going to have the kind of impact. Oh, he had amazing impact. And people came from all over. People say, well, I can't let the church Listen, if you have the power of God in your church, God begins to show up, heal the sick, and set the captives free. And if you'll preach the unmitigated truth of the word of God and don't make apologies for it, let it fly. And if people don't like it, well, that's between them and God. Then you can put some sugar up on that thing. And I think you should. I try to be sweet. My wife rebukes me pretty regularly. But you were just a little bit hard on that one. I thought you a little, you know, just chill out a little bit. That's why we need you here. One of the main reasons, because I, I can fly off the handle. No, we're into an entertainment culture, and I'll tell you the problem with that. The problem is if you come just to get entertained and you leave like we had to entertain you. Now, our worship are not professionals, they're all volunteers, and we're worshiping God. And, and, and it's not worshiping to try to bring some performance for you to enjoy, trying to lead you into the presence of God. We're, I'm, not, I'm not preaching for you to, I mean, I hope you're enjoying it. It's good to laugh, it's good to have fun in church, but I mean, if you don't ever get convicted when you're sitting in the pew, something's wrong. I'm being convicted right now. Entertainment culture, you know, we're no different than the world if we're like that. And we battle against the separation of information and application or the separation of information and from living it out. So if you just hear what I'm telling you right now and you don't apply it to your life, then you'll suffer, you'll suffer from that. You see, biblical discipleship, when you look at the book of Acts and you read the first chapter, you see that Jesus, all that Jesus began to both do and teach, teach and do, that is the model that we have in our King School of Ministry. That is the model that we try to bring before you. I will teach God's word and I'll model it. I'll talk about prayer and I'll be here in prayer. In every service we have nearly, sometimes I'm traveling, so on and so forth. Listen, if you just gather information and you never learn to act on it, y'all listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen. If you just gather and grow in knowledge, but that never is played out in your life, then you're just basically developing a structure within your own thinking to make you more of a religious person. And I'm going to tell you something. We don't need more religious people. We need people that actually can bring miracle power of God and demonstration of the Word of God. We need God to pour into us in such a way that when you show up at the job site, the atmosphere of your job changes. We don't need people that are just walking around offended because somebody cursed for God's sake. Oh, wash your mouth out with soap. But then you have all these perverted thoughts, you hypocrite. 
I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to that other person. We have to, you can't gather information to, and insulate yourself from powerlessness and become a religious person. You've got to get the word of truth and then line your life up and learn to live it out. That is how, what true discipleship is. It's not just renewing your mind. Renewing your mind happens in a twofold way. Learn the word. Do the word. If you don't do the word, then you won't really be renewing your mind and you won't really be growing in the things of God. And all of that happens in a community of faith. Biblical truth applied releases power, miracles, signs, and wonders. All right, we're called to be we're called to, as believers to be a community that's personal, and I, I've, got to, I've got to hurry. Minister Mike, would you come, please? Galatians 6 talks about that. Talking about 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that Jesus came, he appeared, the creator appeared, fully God, fully man. And they've, he says in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, that we've shared, we've spoken, we've testified so that you would have fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. Fellowship with each other, that's the people part. There's something that happens when people serve God together. I've been through some challenges. My wife and I have been through many trials over the years. And, and we've said this before. I do not know how you live life without a church family. I was talking to Heidi back there. She starts weeping about her church family. Let's love my church family. And I was just moved, and we just sat there, and it was like the presence of God just came. You're my sister, Heidi. What's up? <laughs> I'll have to add that. Thank God for church family. Do you know how many people don't actually partner up and become part of the family? They do this fringe thing. They stay at, they stay at a distance. Just... We're supposed to be personal. Galatians 6, and I, I've got to hurry. I'm sorry, I've gone just a touch longer than I wanted to. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore such a person gently. The church is a place where people should be restored. Listen, if somebody's broken, they ought to come because they can get healed. Somebody said, well, I ain't going to church a bunch of hypocrites. Where, the, where in God's name should a hypocrite go? A hypocrite ought to come, you hypocrite. Because maybe you'll hear something that changes you when you stop your hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the Greek, it's a Greek word, it's, it's an actor. Praise God for the hypocrites in the house. May you get transformed. There really is people that really do love God and really live this thing out at home and in public. There really is. Where? I'm one of them. I know I know dozens and dozens. I know hundreds of others. Really live for God. It's a place where people are restored. In the spirit of gentleness. I was, I was preparing this message. I got a phone call. And the phone call is usually one of those things that makes me uh, my blood boil a little bit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's certain things that really get under my skin. Domestic violence really bothers me, right? So I just want to go and, and help that man out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
And of course, it happens with, with women too. And you know, that's not the right way. Gentleness is the right way. So while I'm, I'm studying this, I get a phone call and it's the kind of thing that really makes me upset. And so it's like the Lord's just speaking to me. Um, gentle. I'm like, okay. I mean, while I'm on this point studying, I get the call. I feel like the Lord is trying to say, um, you're, a little, you're a little overly aggressive and not as gentle as you could be. So, so I was able to, I just asked God to help me. I realized for the grace of God, go I. In, in humility, it's the next point, in humility. We're supposed to restore people in gentleness and humility. Look at B. It's a place where we're going to carry one another's burdens. Now, how are you going to carry burden? Load, problem, weight, a burden. How are you going to carry somebody's burden if you don't know them? How are, you, how, how are you going to do that? Listen, we have these 31 different life groups and these teams. Why would we do that? Because there's the, it's the only way that you can really get personal with people. I mean, you know, we have fellowship and it's hard to get everybody to return to their seats. You know, that's, that's a problem that most churches would like to have. And when we close here in the next five minutes and we turn you loose, some of you are just going to hang out for 40 minutes. Praise God! That's why I have a massive lobby in the next building. I know it's a little claustrophobic right here, but we have another one coming, so just hang on. In the bathrooms, just wait. Pretend you're driving to Fairbanks. Use the bathroom at home before you come because you're going to stand in a long line. Why do we do this? So that we can carry and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I've shared in the first service. I'll share again quickly. There's a man by the name of Mark. He's a businessman in our church on Maui and my mother went to his small group it was called Turning Point 1991 90 91 long time ago and she brought prayer requests about her son that was me who's lost would you please pray and and they like when i say lost they didn't know where i was i didn't know where i was when you don't know where you are you're really lost I don't recall what city I was in, but it wasn't good. And that's all I'll say about that. God miraculously reached across and snatched me like a stick from a fire because of a group of people that would gather together every week and pray for some guy whose name was Daniel, her, Mary's son. Would you pray for Mary's son? And you know, that was me. And I got saved and I got delivered. And God brought me actually to the church where she was. And I got discipled and I got in some of these groups. When I see Mark today, we instantly start crying. Like I see him, I'm like, Jude, I just say thanks to him every time. Because I know if it wasn't for his prayer and his intercession, I wouldn't even be breathing. Some of our closest, closest friends are people that we did life groups with. Why would we do life group? We don't need another group, but we need koinonia. We need to experience life together with people. This is one of the key ways of doing. I thank God for the Haggerty's. This is an amazing family. How do you know that? We've spent time together. I knew you were an amazing family the first day you came in. They're about five rows back, and I prophesied the Joseph word over you. I remember it. These are amazing people. How do you know? I've watched. I've seen. I've watched them charge hell with a water pistol. Devil try to take them out, come up, rising, smelling, smelling like the Rose of Sharon. Yeah, listen, when you see that, then you know somebody's walking with God. When you see somebody overcome, and come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Get involved in these things. 
Come on, plug in. Some of you, it's the answer you've been looking for. Can you play faster or something? Maybe that'll help me. I'm just kidding. We can't do any of this without spending time with them. Our next goal for our life groups is 50 life groups. We're hoping to have 50. We have 31 right now, 49 to go. Some of you, some of you are going to be tremendous leaders. If you'll just put your hand to it, get involved, plug in. Plug in. We'll teach you. It's a place where we learn to love. I hate that, learning to love. It's painful. But we got to learn how to love. John 15, 12, I'm almost done. I'm bringing the plug. The landing gear is down. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love operates in an ever-widening circle. That means in your family. You learn to love in your family. You work that out. You be honest. And it expands from there. Husband, wife, kids. And there's church. Learn to love your church family. Ask God to give you discernment. Not everybody's safe. Listen, not everybody's safe. When you park your car in this parking lot, lock it. And bring your personal effects and, and, and items that you don't want stolen out of your car. Why? Because we're reaching the lost. Lost people steal stuff. Somebody said, if you don't see cigarettes outside your church, you ain't doing nothing. Lots of cigarette butts out there. Pick them up, would you please, for the love of God. All right. Genuine love must be learned and lived out. All right, I'm closing. Here we go. The church is a place of power and agreement. The power of agreement can operate in prayer. The power of prayer and the agreement in prayer is astounding. Vision, without vision, people perish. We've got lots of vision, and the reason it's able to happen is because people are together, serving together, experiencing life together with people. That's why the vision's coming about. Enjoying life. Everybody say, enjoy life. I, I, this was so highlighted to me. I would not be enjoying my life if I wasn't part of the church. You say, why not? Because I had not one clue of how to raise kids. So I would have tried to do it in my own knowledge and my own wisdom, which was very short-sighted and really wasn't wisdom at all. I would have tried to pass on the best things that were part of my family. Pastor Karen would have tried to pass on the best things of hers, but we would have missed volumes that saved us lots of pain. I'm raising two world changers currently in my house. Right? I got one in university, and I have one sitting right over here. It's a daily process that I've learned how to do through the Word and through those who I got to be friends with, and they modeled it. I wouldn't know how to be a guy. I'm still working on the husband part. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Hallelujah. It's hard to enjoy this life and life abundant if you don't grow in the things of God and have discipleship and mentoring and being and having it modeled. And lastly, very lastly, Make my joy complete. I'm talking about experiencing life together with people. We'll move on to power and purpose later. People. You will not experience. You listening? I'll just proved it to you. We could go back over it. You will not experience life that God has for you without people. It's not a biblical idea. The church, God's idea. And you being involved in serving in it 
is really what that means. It's not a place of entertainment. It's not a place where you just learn stuff and walk away. It's a place where you learn to experience life. Did you get something? Stand up on your feet all across this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, won't you give your heart to Jesus today for the first time or make a recommitment if you've drifted? If that's you, want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sin. Those online, those here, you say, that's me, Pastor Dan. Want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment because you drifted on the count of three. I want you to lift your hand. Want to get right with Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment because you drifted away on the count of three. Raise your hand. One, two, three. Do it right now. Raise your hand high. We see that hand. God bless you all the way in the back, son. God bless you. Lift your hand high, unashamed. It's all right. God bless you all the way in the back there. I see that hand, son. Thank you. Over on this side. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All right. If you meant business with God, you raised your hand and you really meant it, or maybe you didn't, but you know you needed to. As soon as Minister Micah sings, I want to invite you to come meet me right here. Come on, we're just going to pray over you and give you a little gift. Lord, I give come on, come you right here. my heart. I give you my soul. Come on. I live for come on, come. you. Come on, come if you raise your hand. Or you didn't. You know you need to be up here. Come on. Put your hands together for these. Come on. Live for you. Live for you. One more time. There's a couple more people that need to come. You know who you are. Sing it again, Minister Mike. As he sings, come, come on, come. Lord, I give you my come on, you need a new life. You need to be forgiven. Come. I give you my soul. Live for you, yeah. And live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Every moment. Every moment I'm away. Lord, have your way. Would you pray with me just right out loud say dear heavenly father thank you for sending your son jesus to die in my place forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart and just as jesus rose again from the grave raise my life up now be my lord be my savior wash me and cleanse me break every chain every bondage and give me a hunger for your word and a hunger for fellowship with other believers and use me for the purpose for which I was created thank you for loving me thank you for hearing my prayer lift your hands all across this place we have some leaders that are going to help you up front here leaders would you go right ahead let me just pray for you Holy Spirit I pray fill and touch these in the name of Jesus Fill them to overflowing. That they'd follow you all the days of their life. They would never, ever turn from you again. They'd live for you. 
And I pray, God, for your people, each and every one of us, Lord, that you would help us to find a place in the church to serve. Lord, as we go to three services, a one o'clock service, God, I'm asking, give us more children's workers. We need more children's workers. We need more ushers. We need more greeters. Speak to these right here to be a part of that. I pray that people would flood into the life groups and flood into the teams and learn what it is to be a part of a family of believers, to be a part of this church family, to experience life together with people, power, and purpose. We give you praise and we give you glory and honor. Put your hands together for Jesus. Let me bless you when our service is over. We'll hope to see you tonight. Lord, bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us, oh God. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock.